0: hi, this is Gabe Hartfield, and I want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast. I get the privilege to work with a community of post-college young adults, and so that's why we call this podcast The
1: Post. And Every week, we get to send out a message into the world that provides practical steps to a mature faith, inspires hope, and helps make the invisible God visible. So here's what we talked about this week at The Post. Uh, thank you, Gabe, for welcoming me in for this opportunity, and uh, thank you all for uh, listening as well. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here, and I'm really excited to talk about Ecclesiastes 3 because it talks about seasons, and if any of you know, I'm a meteorologist, and so I love seasons. Uh, so we're going to talk about fall, winter, spring, and fall. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but if you want to open your word, we're going to just start from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to read uh, all 22 verses of it. And please stand for the reading of God's word. It says a time for everything. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance, time to scatter stones and time to gather them, time to embrace and to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity on the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In a place of judgment, wickedness was there. In a place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go into the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than a person to enjoy their work because that is their lot for who can bring them to see what will happen after them. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to start off with a little analysis of the chapter. Obviously, that was a lot to read in 22 verses, but it's kind of broken down into three chunks, verses 1 through 8, and then a little bit differently from 9 through uh, 16, and then it ends 17 through 22. Uh, But verses 2 through 8, you know, that's the poem where it says a time to be born and a time to die. And it's pretty poetic in the way that it speaks of one thing and then kind of goes into the opposites of that as well. And you can pretty easily apply these into your life. You know, you can see a moment where maybe you were upset and mourning or a time where you were celebrating a and dancing graduation, uh, maybe a family member passed away. Uh, but all of those things in life, uh, they kind of come and go within each other. Uh, but we see the realities of life within this poem. And it, it comes and goes in waves. You have the ebbs and the flows. You know, every time there is a time to be born, there's a time to die. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to refrain from embracing. But through these ups and downs, there's one thing within that poem that's consistent, and that is time. And what does that speak to? I mean, no matter what we're in, no matter what time we are in, they're always good, but there can always be bad, not far behind. Or there could be good, not far behind a moment that is bad. So like the seasons of life, they come and go, but they kind of have a routine to it. You know, we know what's going to come in in the winter. We know that eventually spring is going to come and flowers are going to bloom. But now let's skip to the end. We're going to go back to more so verses 18 through 22 And the chapter ends with a section all about the imminent reality of earthly death. Verse 19, all come from dust and to dust all return. You know, everything is meaningless there in verse 19 as well. All is vanity. It's all fading away on this earth. I like the quote too. It says, all, got to find it. All is but a breath. All have the same breath, excuse me. The footnotes on that say all have the same spirit as well. You could also just interpret that into what life is in God's realm of time as like life is but a breath, and even short in the grand scheme of things. So at the beginning, we have time in life, which has tough times and times to celebrate, but we also understand that the, from the word that there's death and a guarantee is death and that time is fleeting. So while we have all the times of up and downs, that is still fading behind us. So on a day-to-day basis, when we talk about time, like I mentioned, we talk about it in seasons, and at the beginning of the chapter, it talks about a time for everything, a season for everything. So especially in the Christian community, you know, we always talk about that, and as I mentioned, meteorologist, I love the seasons, but it's something that I really focus on at my job, especially now as we're getting in February into March, you know, we're like, oh, we're getting out of the winter, getting ready to see, you know, the leaves come back, the flowers start to bloom. But what we see within that is a little more detail of seeing the winter snowfall lead into that. And there's this transition that goes, especially in the springtime, because you need the last frost. You need that first really warm day to get the flowers and leaves to come into the summer season. And uh, you you see that winter season, it's going to mean for the next spring and summer. So we haven't had a lot of snow this winter, if anybody's noticed that. It's like half of what we had last year. Amen to that. But it's a pretty good indicator that this spring and summer is probably going to be warmer as well. So, taking away from just what we've experienced this season, it's like what one season has in it is going to lead to your next season's output. So, I want to share a little story that was one of the most interesting seasons of my life and actually led me to Christ. Um, well, excuse me, I've never shared this before. So, <laughs> even think about it, I get a little emotional. Um, wow. Sorry. When I was 16 years old, or excuse me, when I was 19 years old, my sister was 16, she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, And I didn't really have an intimate relationship with God, pretty surface level. We just went to church. um, It was kind of that. But uh, when she was first diagnosed, it was like, okay, cancer's close. So I just began to casually pray. But I was just praying for the cancer to go away. I was just praying for miracles. I was like, God, like, I know you exist, I, I believe you're real. A little hesitancy there, but I was like, you know, God just, just want a miracle. Fast forward a few months later, that was in the spring, in the fall of 2019. I actually started going to church on my own when I was in college down in Oklahoma. And I joined into a small group, had a little bit more community. And my time with God became a little more intentional, but I was still praying the same prayer. And it was just God, I just pray for the cancer to go away, just praying for a miracle. And it, again, my prayers were still kind of surface level. And then we get to 2020, January of 2020, so a few months after that. Um, it was a terminal diagnosis. She was on hospice care and bed rest. And uh, she had come to some really excruciating pain uh, in a lot of those moments. So Sunday, January 26th, um, it was one of the worst days for her pain-wise. Um, she had a pick line, uh, a lot of meds in and out, You know, every eight hours, six hours, we were providing those. And uh, it was pretty chaotic trying to get her the meds. You know, she was in a lot of pain, some of the worst that we'd seen. And my parents and I were all there trying to help her calm down in the pain. And it was one of those moments where you just kind of go into like shock. I really didn't know what was going on. I felt like flying the wall in that moment as I was watching my parents um, help her. But in that moment, I kind of took a step back and I stopped praying what I'd prayed pretty much every day for seven, eight months about just cancer to go away in a miracle. But... It was almost like a desperation in my heart. And I was like, all right, God, I don't need a miracle anymore. Just, just let the pain go away. I was like, that's all I want, just for her to not feel anything. And uh, it stopped instantly right there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, she said no shines of pain after that. She passed four days later. Um, but that was like, God is real. And it was life-changing for me. Um, I haven't doubted that for a second ever since. Praise God for that. Um took another six months till I gave my life to Christ um, in the midst of grief and confusion, but it was just this moment of like dependence upon God, dependence upon God, dependence upon God. Um, but I also learned in that reality that everything on this earth is tough, and what we go through on this earth is tough, but it's not going to be here forever because we had a better place that we're headed. Uh, so seasons of our life, uh, especially one like that, can be so low in our lives. I mean, that was so low, it brought me to Christ. Um, but they're a little more recognizable, especially when we notice our own emotions within it, whether we get, you know, impatient or, um, you know, we get into a season where we're trying to just get to the next phase of our life. Just a little ahead mentally where we're at, you know, maybe we're trying to get that promotion. We're so focused on that promotion that it kind of takes away from where we're at now. Uh, You know, I, I, my job is changing. I'm getting a new shift in a couple weeks. I'm like, I can't wait to get there. You know, I'm going to get my weekends back, but I'm also like, No, I still have a lot to learn in this moment and appreciate the time that I do have. Uh, But one of the most impactful uh, seasons, again, with my sister just took it so much to a different level of understanding the times and the seasons of my life within grief, within joy. And Graves into Gardens is the first song that we played at her funeral. And uh, so to hear that, like God of the mountains, God of the valleys, he's with us in every ebb and flow, in every season Of our lives, so let's go back to verses two through eight, and this is full of the good and the bad. You know, it says time for dancing, time for laughing, time for planting and birth, but it also shows the the bad that comes from this earthly life: the mourning, the weeping, the uprooting, the death. The times of our life literally do come and go within time. You know, time is one of the few things that you can't get back. You can money comes and goes, life comes and goes, the weeping and the emotions that come and go. But time is always fleeting. And it's great that some of these things don't last forever, but it also stinks that some of them kind of don't. You know, you want those great moments to last forever. Maybe when you submitted that last exam, oh, never forget that day. Uh, But just like, oh, so freeing. Uh, Maybe when you got that promotion, like how you felt in that opportunity, or maybe just a really intimate time with God where you feel like you're on that that, that mountain uh, with your relationship with Christ. Um, But it sucked in a lot of ways watching my sister endure that cancer um, and fight. But again, I can't stress this enough. Praise God that it did not last forever. And now she's with Jesus in heaven. Um, So again, yeah, just, sorry. So after verse two through eight, I mentioned in the end, verses 18 through 22, how it talks about the imminent reality of death within all of this. But this chapter is actually broken down into three chunks. We talked about it in the beginning where everything has a beginning and an end, the time of life and the reality of fleeting time to death at the end of the chapter. And what we haven't talked about yet is what is in the middle, verses nine through 16. And what's in the middle of that? He talks about the earthly part of time fleeting, the end of it where the imminent reality of death comes on our lives. But in the middle, he talks about Christ. And in the middle of our time on this earth, and when we get to death, there's Christ. The connection with all of that is Christ. So the ebbs and flows of our life, they always give us a way or a reason to be down or excited or have these emotional waves, uh, but the God is consistent in our inconsistent. See, a lot of times we think of the ebbs and flows of our life and where it may lead us, but God is consistent within that. And like, even though your emotions may fluctuate, Christ is always going to be taking you to that better place. So in verse 11, this is the best verse of the chapter, I think. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. I think we need that perspective a lot more. You know, I didn't know at the time why my sister was diagnosed with cancer. That was five years ago. You know, you ask the question, where do you see yourself in five years? If somebody told me when she was diagnosed last year, or in March of 2019, that I'd be sitting here today diving into the word, I would have completely denied that, but there's a lot of opportunity that our lives can bring. And uh, God puts everything obviously structured for a reason. So you think about things being beautiful and it's time. It's like, that was that time for me to get rid of, you know, die for myself to be born again in Christ. Uh, so what season are you in? It's a big question, right? A lot of us maybe in singleness. Maybe a lot of us are just in that moment of like trying to get the next job, as I talked about earlier. But singleness is probably one of the more common ones for us, or maybe in a relationship and you're trying to get to that that step with marriage. But what are you doing in that season if you viewed it from the outside? You know, a lot of times we're just in it and we're stuck in our heads, stuck in our emotions, stuck in our own expectations and desires of what that means or what it entails or what it should lead us to. But when I prayed over my sister, just that last prayer of like, I just want the pain to go away, I felt like a fly on the wall. It got rid of all my emotions and just like a desperation in my heart to God. So where is your heart with God in the season that you're in right now? Are you impatiently waiting for a relationship or are you trying to take matters into your own hands? Maybe you're like forcing yourself on a dating app when you feel God's maybe just calling you into this season of singleness, even though you don't want it. Um, And maybe you're missing out on what God is trying to articulate uh, for you in that time. And I think we need to take advantage of the season that we are in because when it's in a new era, we may not be fully equipped for what God wanted for us. Sometimes you take it on your own selfish expectations, you know, within the, the process of my sister passing away, I tried to go to therapy and get done with grieving in two months. I went to therapy four times and I was like, this is all I need. I'll be great. Six months later, lo and behold, I had emotional issues that I was still trying to grieve through. And I was like, I need to go back to therapy. So I went for two years and it's not what I ever wanted for myself. I mean, I support it 100% now, but I was like, no, like, I'm good. Like, I don't need this. Um, but God really put me in that moment to really dwell in everything within my life and it helped me grow my relationship with Christ a hundredfold. Um, I'm just so thankful for that. Um, so in the singleness, maybe you have moments of bad tendencies. Maybe you have temptations in your singleness. Like that is something so often that I think we get caught up in like, oh, I just need to get in a relationship. But it's like, man, like, where? what is God really trying to soak out of you? Like, what is he trying to sift in you? You know, he's the, 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 He's the potter and we're the clay. Like, let him mold you in that season. You know, the, the flowers are still going to bloom, but how rooted are they? How rooted is your heart in Christ when that next season comes? And so a lot of verses that we can turn to are even in verse 516 of Ecclesiastes, where it says, this is too a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain Since the toil, since they toil for the wind? And toil is another word for work. So what are they working for? It's just one that reminds you that you need to redeem the time. When it says in that, it's like, what are you you doing with your time? You're chasing after the wind or are you spending your time actually dedicating your heart to Christ? There's another one, Colossians 4, 5. I think I have it marked. Yes, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. It's important to redeem the time because the days that we have are evil. And sometimes we can convince of that. Sometimes we can convince ourselves, oh, we have the time. I don't need to worry about that project because that's two weeks from now. What what if something else comes up and you can't get to that then? You know, procrastination is a big thing in that aspect too, but there's so many opportunities where like, sometimes the enemy can try to get in our head saying we have that time, but like you need to seize that opportunity right now. So one last note about this chapter is to talk about opportunity from Colossians four five time has a root word in Hebrew that I do not know how to say, but I think it's gonna be up on your screen here. Um, And the cool part is that this is the same root word that seasons come from, where it says appointed or definite time and season. I mean, season is appointed or definite time. And it's really, really cool, but it also means opportunity. And it'll change your perspective when you read that poem in verses two through eight, time and opportunity. So let's read that real quick. It says, an opportunity to be born and an opportunity to die, an opportunity to plant, opportunity to uproot, an opportunity to weep, an opportunity to laugh, an opportunity to embrace, an opportunity to refrain from embracing. So a lot of times, I think we think of time so casually because it's just kind of always there. We always ever watch. We always have no what time we're going to the next thing. But like, What if you saw that time as an opportunity, just a little bit more? In Galatians 6.10, it says, do good for the Lord with your time. Don't waste it, but seize the time. That's a big focus in this. Again, back to verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. So if you feel God is setting you in this season to just dwell in him, whether it be in singleness, whether it be in, maybe you're unemployed looking for a job, or maybe you're just really, really struggling with some emotional thing with like family, or you just really want to dig into that. It's the time to be with God. And so all of us are in that season for a reason. You think of uh, Christmas time, you know, the reason for the season, It's Christ. What's the reason for the season you're in right now? Ask God to reveal that to you in your hearts, to recognize what you can be working on within yourself, to prep yourself and be fully equipped for what God will have for you in the future. Uh, One last other verse, Philippians 1, Paul speaks about, since we are not in heaven yet, it is necessary to be where we are right now. It is necessary. That means God has called you into that place whether a time of weeping, time of waiting, maybe God's trying to break you down in some things, sift some parts out of your life. You don't need to wait to seek God in our lives. You don't need your life to be put together to draw into the Father. In fact, I think it's his goodness uh, that makes it more, or sorry, that was confusing. It's in those moments that we see his goodness more And we don't need that perfect timing. You know, we're always trying to like, you see the ebbs and flows of life. It's like, oh, maybe I'll just do this when I get that job. I'll be a little happier when I'm in a relationship. But the reality is we don't need a perfect timing in our life. We don't need a perfect life when we have a perfect father. And it's just amazing to think that he has made everything beautiful in its time. I cannot stop saying that. I don't even know how to dissect that verse. I just sit there and stare at it. And I go, that makes sense. He has made everything beautiful in its time time. It's pretty good. (laughs) Everything beautiful in its time. What does that mean for you in your heart? What does it mean for you in your season? Father, I just pray over everybody, as we're all in our own season of life at this time, God, uh, that you would just allow our hearts to be open to you and what you're trying to do, Father. Maybe we're in the middle of you know our darkest times in the winter of our life, uh, that we can use this as an opportunity to depend upon you more. Lord, maybe we're in the spiritual high in a joyous time of celebration or you know growing and moving in every step of our lives. But God, allow our hearts to not lose sight of who you are and the goodness uh, and the consistency that you are in our inconsistent lives, and that time is fleeting, but you are always with us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, hi, my name is Noah. Um, thanks for coming tonight, and I'm so excited and honored to open Ecclesiastes with you tonight. And Just like before I hot, really hop into uh, today's uh, little message that we got going, I just thought it was so interesting how Reese's testimony and Reese's passage fits so well so well with the passage that we're going to be reading Ecclesiastes 4, and I don't think it's coincidence. I had a wise mentor of mine once say that sometimes if there's too many coincidences, it's God. And so tonight, I just believe that someone has a word that they need to hear tonight from Ecclesiastes, and I'm thankful for the opportunity and honor to open it today with you. Well, last week, last week, I was on vacation. How many of you guys like to go on vacation? Yeah, I love vacation. Um, and last week I was on vacation and I thought, well, I have some time to, you know, prep this, this message tonight. And so, you know what I did? I decided to spark, to spark my creative juices. I decided to listen to six different sermons on Ecclesiastes 4, you know, and I was so excited until I listened to them all and realized they were all on different things, different topics. And it was a tragedy because I was more confused than when I started. But all of this to say is that Ecclesiastes 4 has a lot of content in it. There's a lot of content in Ecclesiastes 4. I mean, it's written in Hebrew for Pete's sake, right? And then to make it even harder, it's poetic. (laughs) Who can understand poetry? I can't. Um, And so with Ecclesiastes 4, I'm going to be focusing on one part, one topic in Ecclesiastes 4, one little section. I'm going to be focusing on Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. Now Ecclesiastes 4 has a lot of other verses. It's 1 through 16 is the whole chapter. And so tonight's tonight, I just want to challenge you that maybe after listening to me, I want you to spend some time alone, maybe with God, opening this passage and seeing what He has to speak to you in the whole passage together. Now, maybe, and this is a big challenge, maybe read Ecclesiastes 3 and 4 together. And maybe, if you want a big challenge, read Ecclesiastes 1 through 4, and maybe the rest of Ecclesiastes while you're there. Um, but and it's just a challenge for you to individually open these passages um, and hear what the Holy Spirit has to speak to you. And on the topic of today's message, maybe invite a friend to do it with you. Now, I'm going to be opening Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. It's on your little handout on your table. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, three strands, is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. So, the author of Ecclesiastes, some like to say it's Solomon, um, the author of Ecclesiastes has been taking us on this tour of life under the sun, where he has been chasing after pleasure and joy and being left empty-handed time and time again. He continues this tour in verse 8, where we meet this man that is all alone. His pursuit of riches has left him alone. He makes all this money, but he has no one to spend it with. Now, I wish that was me. I wish I made so much money I, I had no one to enjoy it with. Um, but in verse 8, um, we, we meet this man. And now, I don't have a million dollars in the bank account. I don't really know what it's like to be this man. But something you I do really love and do really enjoy, if you know me, is I love motorcycles. Anyone like motorcycles? Maybe, maybe we got a a couple people in the back. Let's go, there's a few of us. I love motorcycles. I know they're dangerous. I'm not condoning them. I'm just saying it's something that I personally enjoy. Now, um, the first motorcycle I ever had was a Suzuki Boulevard S50, 1200 CCs. I know I'm saying a lot of things that no one understands here, but it's a Suzuki Boulevard S50, 1200 CCs. It was black with chrome detail. I loved it. I spent six months saving up for this motorcycle. I was so proud and so excited to finally hop on it. And as soon as I got it, I couldn't stop riding it. I would ride it to work. I would ride it to church. I'd have to hide my helmet underneath the chair so some old lady wouldn't yell at me. Um, I I had to, I went went to the grocery store. I remember holding a bag of groceries very uh, fearfully uh, on the side while I was driving back to the grocery store. And I even drove to my mom's house and she wasn't so happy, but that's okay. I love this motorcycle and was so, so, so excited to have it. But for those of you that have motorcycles or love fast cars or sports cars, you might realize that the motorcycle you have is never good enough. You always want something faster or newer or better. And two months later, I found myself scrolling on Facebook Marketplace and looking at a new motorcycle. I had just saved off for six months for this motorcycle and I already wasn't satisfied with the thing that I wanted. Now, a month or two later, I actually bought a second motorcycle, and the thing is, this message isn't going to be all about motorcycles, so you're all right, Um, but you see this quite often. The stuff that we think will make us happy ultimately doesn't. The stuff that we think will make us happy ultimately doesn't. i have to imagine that this rich man, he, he might be just like you, starting your careers or graduating college or, or just getting into the position that you really want to, focusing after that career, and you finally get that promotion. You finally make X number of dollars. You finally get that house that you dreamed of. But you have no one to enjoy it with. You're all alone. And Ecclesiastes hits the nail on the head. In verse 8, it says, He had neither son, nor brother. This man, this was a man all alone. He has no friends, no family, no community. He is all alone. Now a question I want to start and to ask yourselves, this is a rhetorical question, is are you lonely today? Are you lonely? Have you been pursuing something that leaves you alone, that pushes you far away from the community that God has for you? My dad, he passed away a few years ago. And um, it's been really hard on me and my family and my mom. And um, I remember I asked her last week, I said, Mom, what does loneliness mean to you? Knowing that she'd give me an authentic and real answer. And my mom said, Loneliness is the most difficult emotion I have ever experienced. Without your dad, I feel purposeless. So I'm going to ask you again. Are you lonely today? Maybe you wish you had friends or or more friends and maybe you envy those around you who get invited to certain things that maybe you don't get invited to. I mean, I have FOMO, does anyone else have FOMO? Maybe you wish you had a boyfriend or girlfriend. Do you go to weddings and find it hard to celebrate others and ask yourself, when is it my turn? Do Do you wish you had a church community that you could truly trust? Have you been hurt by a church before? Do you wish you had a healthy relationship with your family? Maybe someone passed away. Maybe you never even knew your family. I can feel Solomon at the end of verse 8 putting us on a cliffhanger. The man in Ecclesiastes 4 has all the wealth in the world, but if you look at the end of verse 8, what does he say? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. This man is all alone. He has no one to share his wealth with. We don't have to go very far in the Bible to realize that we were made for community. We were made for community. I mean, Genesis 2.18 says it's not good for the man to be alone. And then God created a partner for him. And they were able to walk and talk and live in community with God in the Garden of Eden. And it was this beautiful relationship. But sin entered, as we know, not to spoil it. Sin entered and they were forced to leave the garden. A A chasm was created between us and God. It's because of sin that we are alone. But friends, I want to tell you that there is hope. In the next section, in the next section, 9 through 12, Solomon, or the author, gives us a biblical solution to loneliness in one important word, and maybe you can guess it. Solomon gives us a solution to our loneliness in community. He goes on to highlights four benefits of community, work, Help, support, and my favorite one, defense. To start off, in verse 9 he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Having a community and others is helpful in our work. It's much easier to paint a room, shovel snow, or to move couches, right? If you have people in other hands to help you. I mean, having more people or a larger community increases the amount of work you can do. How does the saying go? Many hands make many hands make light work. Yes, many hands make light work. He goes on and says, "If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up." Having a community and others around us helps us when we fall. Now, no, he's not just literally saying when you fall on concrete, then you have someone to pick you up. I mean, that's not exactly what he's talking about. He's thinking about all the times in life you experience suffering. A few years ago, like I said, my dad passed away, and I remember very vividly we actually had the funeral here at Crossroads in the upper room. And and I remember going into that funeral, not sure what was going to happen you know I was so broken so sad missing the man that was my mentor the person I looked up to and I remember walking into that room and seeing familiar faces people that didn't know my dad but people that knew me and I remember seeing people there that loved me and came there for me because they knew me and some of those people are in this room today They were there to pick me up when I couldn't pick myself up. And for that, I'm forever thankful. As Christians, when we fall into sin, We need a community that helps us come back to the Lord. I I love this initial question, right? I I loved, why did you come to Crossroads? I remember um, I came to Crossroads in around 2020. I was looking for a church and my roommate invited me to Crossroads and I went once and then I never came back (laughs) for like two months. And then eventually he's like, Noah, come on, come to Crossroads. And I'm church shopping and looking around and I come to Crossroads the second time. And the same roommate looks at me and says, Noah, You know you don't have to come to Crossroads with me. Don't drag your feet. You don't have to come here. But you have to go somewhere. And you have to commit to somewhere. How can anyone hold you accountable if they never know you? The third reason, the support in verse 11 that the author talks about, is a benefit of community. Verse 11 says, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Community supports us when we are in need. I like to picture uh, two people huddled up to a fire on a cold winter day, reading a book or watching a movie, keeping themselves warm together. But there are more situations of need in our community other than just the cold. And I was trying to think of an example of what this actually physically looked like. Like, I don't want to just suggests that we all huddle next to a bonfire and keep warm and support each other. Maybe sometimes, if the meteorologist tells us that's all right. But um, I don't really think that's what he's trying to say here. Because there are lots of needs in our community. There are lots of needs in this room. Each one of you have needs if you want to admit it or not. I was trying to think through a testimony of of someone I knew that needed support in Crossroads and how the community came around and I just kept getting testimony after testimony that kept appearing. And so I have four quick little testimonies of ways I've seen people in our community at Crossroads, our community help each other and support each other over the past few years. I saw people set up meal trains for someone when they were sick or meal trains for someone when they had a child. I saw a couple occasions of people helping each other pay their rent when they couldn't afford it when they lost their job. I actually had someone uh, lend me their car for like two weeks when my car broke down. And I had, I remember this one girl, her house burned down. And I remember the community at Crossroads, people in this room came around and brought her clothes. Someone gave her their laptop and an old phone. The community at Crossroads, the community that I saw, surrounded this person. I mean, that's very much like the early text, right? It was a community that always tried to meet each other's needs. As much as I want to, you can't meet all your needs alone. You can't. I, I, I remember, I don't know why this, this sermon talks about my dad so much, but um, I remember uh, my dad, he was a, uh, he was a pastor, was a pastor, like a Southern Baptist pastor, fireman with curly hair, looks nothing like me. Um, but him and my mom met at a church, and my mom always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and so she decided to pursue that ministry. She was a stay-at-home mom. My dad went to work as a pastor, leading people to Jesus. Now, when I was about two years old, though, my dad got into a car accident and broke his back. And slowly but surely, he became more and more and more disabled, to the point where he had to retire from being a pastor, And he couldn't even walk. Now, the last four years of my life, I remember my mom had to go back to work. And she had to take care of my dad. That's all she did for four years. She didn't hang out with her friends. She didn't go on vacation. She loved my dad so dearly. She did not sign up for this. But she stayed committed to the community, to the ministry that God had placed in front of her. She would wash him, she would bathe him, she would feed him, she would listen to him, she would talk to him. She was his everything. How committed are you to your community? How committed are you to the people that God has placed in your life? The fourth reason, and I think one of my favorite reasons that we need community is for defense. In verse 12, it says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Community helps us to defend against opposition and hardship. The author uses an example of someone being attacked. Now, now, I think the author uh, is not trying to explain to you how to win a fight. (laughs) I don't think many of us are getting into fights in alleys, right? Um, But I remember this. uh, I used to live with a bunch of guys from Crossroads. And I remember one day I came home from work, and I put my computer down. And all of a sudden, my roommate tackles me, (laughs) throws me on the couch. And I'm like, what's going on? And he pins me and said, ha, ha, ha. I won. (laughs) I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) The next day, same thing happened, and it was on. Every single day, every single one of us, seven guys would get into wrestling matches in our living room to see who was the strongest man. Now, of course, one man rose uh, past them all. It wasn't me, (laughs) but one man rose past them all. I blamed he owned a gym, he was pretty in shape, so I said, you know, that's probably the reason he'd won it. He kept beating me time and time again, And it was embarrassing. I don't even know why I'm showing this story. Um, But then one day, I walked in. I see Ryan, the guy who always beats me. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm defeated. Then we start wrestling on the couch. And all of a sudden, my roommate Alex walks in. And Alex starts wrestling with Ryan. And the two of us together pin him down. And we win. We're the strongest people in the house. But we didn't do it alone. We did it together. Now, now Solomon, the author, is not just giving us a how-to on wrestling with your roommates. He is telling us that community protects us. Having others by our side helps us to endure. It is much easier to endure opposition if you're not alone. I mean, just take, for example, sharing your faith. Imagine being in a room where you're the only Christian, and other people are making fun of the Bible, and you have to defend your faith alone. Now, we have the Holy Spirit to walk with us, but wouldn't it be easier if you were with a group of Christians and you were able to defend your faith together? Being together allows us to endure and run the race that Christ has set out for us together. But even when we do experience community, I do want to admit that it can often be negative and painful. I know each one of you have stories of how people have hurt you and how communities have hurt you and how people have mistreated you. Whether they're big or small, each painful memory matters. And I want to say I'm sorry. One of my favorite pastors, Craig Groeschel, says that the biggest issue with humans is that they are human. Friends will hurt you. Romantic relationships will hurt you. Churches will hurt you. Family will hurt you. And I truly hope not, but I might even hurt you one day. The problem with each of these people is that they are people. How does the saying go? Hurt people. Hurt people. Hurt people. People have and will hurt you. And I am sorry. The only person that will never hurt you is Jesus Christ. He is the one that will never leave you or forsake you. He will leave the 99 to chase after you. He is the one that loved you so much. You with your flaws, you with your humanity, you that have hurt other people. He loved you so much that he chose to die for you because he loved you. And he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That is the Jesus that we get to serve. That is the Jesus, the relationship that we get to choose. Just because we're not in the Garden of Eden doesn't mean we can't have a relationship with Jesus today. And I wonder even today, maybe some of you have felt the desire to be alone. I mean, some of you barely made it here tonight. There are so many reasons, so many excuses. I, I could watch TV, or I could sleep, or I could scroll on my phone, or there's a million things that I can do except be here tonight. I, I get why you want to be alone. I've been hurt. It's, it's hard to trust people. It's hard when someone has disappointed you, when someone has overpromised and under-delivered. It's easier to go alone. Most times, it feels faster sometimes, right? But the honest truth is that that is a lie. Life is not easier on your own. The enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to put you on an island. He wants to get you alone, to immobilize you. And there are some people in this room, their hearts are breaking for community and there are others that have community and don't even realize the blessing that it is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, "'Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community "'and let him who is not in community "'be aware of being alone.'" For those of you that do have community, my question for you is, Do you truly value your community? Do you truly value your community? John 15 verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Would you lay down your life for someone else? Or do you just use the information of your friends as a currency? Do you you gossip about your friends? Do you put them down so you can put yourself up on a pedestal? Do you look at your friends to only fill you up? Do you truly listen to your friends? Or do you constantly find yourself talking over them? Maybe you're in a relationship. Are, Are you using that relationship as a way to fill a hole that they were never meant to fill? I mean, maybe even some of you have gone on dates with someone great, but you never want to commit Keep your options open in case someone better comes along. Maybe even here at church, when, when your friend asks you to pray for them, do you even actually pray? When someone asks you to hold them accountable, do you actually hold them accountable and check in? I mean, maybe you even signed up for a small group and never showed up. Are you constantly trying out different churches and church shopping? Maybe you have a great relationship with your family, but you find it hard to love them. I mean, when was the last time you even called your mom or dad and told them you love them? And maybe, maybe, deep down, you wish you had different parents and you were never even born to that family. I mean, I know this personally, that I would give anything, anything in this world to spend 10 more minutes with my dad. And some of you are looking at that blessing that is in front of you and disregarding it. People have value. Things have value. Do you know why they have value? Because of the price someone is willing to pay for them. Each one of you in this room, Jesus died for. And that price is insurmountable. The person you ignore, the text you don't respond to, the family member you don't want to listen to, They were made in the image of God, and Jesus Christ died for them the same as He died for you. But I don't always get it right. There's been so many times I've used relationships and friendships as a currency, always wishing I had different friendships and not valuing the ones I had. Was in middle school, I got bullied. Uh, I was homeschooled most of my life. And so, because of that, all my friends were Christians, my family was Christians, everyone I knew was Christian. <laughs> and, like I was saying uh, earlier, because my dad was disabled, eventually my mom had to go back to work and I couldn't be homeschooled anymore. So, I went to a public school in seventh grade for the first time. And I remember walking in, six foot tall, probably 120 pounds, dripping wet. I promise you, if I turned sideways, I was probably invisible. <laughs> um, but I, I remember walking into this school and thinking, everyone loves Jesus. And the socially awkward homeschool kid that I was at that time, I remember someone saying, Jesus isn't cool, and you're not cool because you love Jesus. I started to get bullied. I remember people would comment on Facebook photos that I, that I was ugly, that they hated me. I remember I got one message that really got to me, that someone wished I had never been born. These are my peers, some of my teammates. And the truth is, I believed them. And in seventh grade, I tried to end my life twice. But fast forward to high school. Fast forward to high school. When I was in seventh, when I made the constant decision that no one in high school was ever going to hurt me again. I was going to control the relationships around me. I was going to manipulate them. I was going to put up my defenses and not let the heart that God gave me be put on show. I would read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People Religiously. I would watch comedy videos and practice jokes in the mirror to use at school. I decided to focus on sports and dating and parties and forget about getting good grades, right? And you know what happened? It worked. It worked. I got what I wanted. People at school loved me. I would get invited to the parties. I would go on the dates. I was captain of the sports teams. But I remember On homecoming, sitting in my bathroom crying because everyone knew me, but no one knew me. I was like the man in Ecclesiastes 4. This too is meaningless, a miserable business. I was so hurt by people, so I took control and used the people around me. Because I was hurt in middle school, I manipulated people and lied. I would only help someone when it could benefit me. See, friends, this is the core of Ecclesiastes. That the grass is always greener until you get there and realize it's not. To close, I have one question for you. When you look back at your 20s and 30s, ask yourself, what is the substance of your relationships? How will you answer? What is your impact? What does your community look like? Are you spread too thin or not spread enough? On uh, the Crossroads Locker Room podcast last week, Dr. Jerry Sitter said, obeying God is not a future thing. It's a right now thing. Are you coasting? Are you taking steps in faith to live in community? Even if it's broken, even if they hurt you, and they will hurt you if they haven't yet. What would our community at the Post look like? If we started to believe truly that two are better than one, that we need each other, that we can't do it on our own, that we would humble ourselves and ask for help when we needed it, and that when someone asks for help, we would help them. We wouldn't tell anyone. We'd do it quietly and peacefully and lovingly, and we'd lay down our lives for each other. Look to your left. Look to your right. These people were made in the image of God, and Christ came and died for them. We need each other. Do you truly believe that when we live life on our own, it is truly meaningless? Let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this community that we are in. Thank you for its brokenness. Thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to choose to love each other, not just when it's easy, Lord, not just when it's convenience, but because you've told us that community is worth it. And Lord, when community lets us down, help us to not forget that you will never let us down. And then you have placed us exactly where you want us to be for the purpose of glorifying you. Lord, let us love each other like you have taught us. In your heavenly and holy name, amen. Well, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it inspires you through the rest of the week. If you're listening on Spotify or on another device, we want to just invite you to click follow and join us for more podcasts in the future. Have a great week.